0: When I'm sitting down saying nineteen thirty three, Congressman McFadden sit here and said that the Federal Reserve note is not money. It is a mere promise to pay you someday. Well, you can sit back and quote this, but it's a different thing when you can sit here and say, My God, it actually is right there. It's in congressional records. This is the same thing with what we're sitting here saying, the United States Attorney's Manual. I could take you into the United States Attorney's Manual. This is their rule book under 3.2-110 history. Talks about how the Judiciary Act came into effect, how it created the United States Attorney's Office. Big deal, so who cares? When they created the Judiciary Act of 1789, they not only created the court building, the system for the inferior courts, the United States Attorney's Office, they created the Department of Justice, the the DOJ. They also created the U.S. Marshal Service. And you talk to any U.S. Marshal, they'll sit here and tell you how proud they are that they were created through this Judiciary Act. Well, with what Carl's running into with this attorney and this judge, whenever they created the United States Attorney's Office and that creation of that office, it set the standard for the qualification of a United States attorney. It told you what the qualification was in order to be a United States attorney. And it merely says a meet, M-E-E-T, person learned in the law. Doesn't say lawyer. Doesn't say attorney. Doesn't say bar member. All you have to be is someone who is learned in the law to be a United States attorney. Never been repealed. So when we're walking into these courts and the judge sitting here saying, well, you're not a bar member, well, excuse me, let's you and I look at the United States Attorney's Manual for what is the qualification to be a United States Attorney. If the United States Attorney does not need a bar card, he doesn't have to be a lawyer, he doesn't have to be an attorney, he's not required to have a bar card. If the highest prosecutor in this country doesn't have to meet these qualifications, then how is it you're requiring me to meet something that a prosecutor doesn't have to have? I says, here's your manual. Show me where this is wrong because this court was created through a Judiciary Act. This court was created through a legislation And when this court was created and this office was created for the United States attorney or for the state attorney general's office or the state prosecutor's office, you can't come back and say, well, you have to have this because the original foundation says a meat person learned in the law. D.C. case. Sometime here next week, I believe, is the due date for Jenner and Block to file a rebuttal. I did go up to D.C. I did have a talk with the attorney for Jenner and Block. We sat down for about an hour. There was a lot of things that Jenner and Block's law firm was not aware of. The attitude changed to, oh, crap. We wasn't aware of this. The fact that I have a college professor out of Chicago that has filed into my court case as an amicus curiae, a friend of the court, on my behalf. The ACLU jumped into this as amicus curiae, as a friend of the court, on my behalf. The Innocent Project, which is a a huge law firm across this country, has filed into amicus curiae into my case as a friend of the court. And the National Criminal Defense Lawyers Also jumped into my case as amicus curiae, as a friend of the court. There are five major heavy hitters in this case. The comment that we got when I was up there here two Mondays ago, the only reason why we're sitting before the Supreme Court is because of the paperwork that I turned in. That tells you my paperwork couldn't be that far off for me to have the largest firms in this country, back me. Here, several years ago, Carl and I had a seminar down here at Lake Norman here in North Carolina, and we had an FBI agent that came from Washington, D.C. She's heard a lot, but she wanted to see if what I was saying was correct. When she left, she left with a whole different enlightenment, enough that whenever I was going through my DC trial, that she showed up at every one of my trials, every one of my hearings. And every time we walked out, she just dropped her head and shook her head. She says, they're railroading you. I said, yeah. She says, I've never seen it from this side. But she said, you have handed them their butt in a courtroom. I said, yeah, that's what I do. She could not believe what she had seen from who she used to work with and watch someone of my caliber walk in and go head to head and start pointing out every one of their errors and their screw-ups. It's never about defending yourself. It's never about me or I. It is about, excuse me, uh, we got a question here. You sit here and told me, Judge, if by swearing an oath, if I lied, it's perjury. And if I commit perjury, I could go to jail for this. He said, that's right. I said, so you're telling me whoever takes an oath, if they lie, it's perjury? He says, yes. Does this apply to your site? Yes. I proceeded to explain the prosecutor's oath and how he lied before the court. I'm the only one that we know of in history that has gotten two federal judges off the bench because I got a federal judge to admit on the record in open court that the statute is the victim. The statute is the plaintiff. When I brought this up to the attorneys for Jenner and Block, and I reminded them what Kessler said here and said, because they seen it, I said, I'm going to ask you a question. James how Kessler sit here and said the statute was the injured party. Then why was not Title 40, USC, 5104, not on the court paper as the plaintiff? Why did they put the United States of America down on it? Isn't the United States a fictitious entity if the plaintiff was the statute? And she looked at me and said, oh, my God, you knew. yes. The moment Kessler said what she did, that statute was the plaintiff. Not the United States of America, not North Carolina State, not state of Ohio, not the state of Florida. That statute was the plaintiff. That statute is never named in a courtroom. You can never cross-examine a statute. You cannot sit down and subpoena a statute into a courtroom. When I got Kessler to sit here and say that, that created the problem. When I brought this up to the attorney that the statute should have been the plaintiff in the courtroom on the paperwork instead of the United States or United States of America, she confirmed I was right. Whenever I had Judge Roberts sit here and openly say that the courts do not operate under law but they operate under theories and concept. Then the argument came up is how is it that the United States Attorney is bringing Title 40, 5104, into the Supreme Court whenever Judge Roberts made it clear the courts do not operate under law. If it doesn't operate under law in the lower section, then the law cannot be brought up into the Supreme Court. We had a young man that I've been working with for close to a year go into a court case where a judge ordered him for a psychological evaluation and ordered a bunch of different things along with the attorney from the opposing side. The gentleman wrote out and filed a motion for a better clarification for the language for these orders. When he got into the court and he cornered the judge, the judge denied because he says, the question that you are asking me has to be put before an administrative court to have it clarified. I said, what did he tell you? He said that he didn't have the jurisdiction to clarify his own orders it was the wrong venue i said "Do you realize what this judge just told you you asked for a better clarification of the language of why he ordered you for psychological evaluation and why he put orders on you and he's telling you he's not qualified to explain it because this is an administrative issue He just disqualified himself because he just told you he didn't have jurisdiction to make the rulings on you because he can't explain them. We had an administrative hearing on a young lady's case here in North Carolina, where the administrative court said that the police department is not part of the state. They come under local unit of government. And then in the next sentence. They said that they are private. Well, wait a minute. If they're not part of the state, but you just said they're under a local unit of government, then you turn around and say, well, they're private? We're getting these people to confess to the fact that nobody works here. We're getting these people to confess in open court that they don't have jurisdiction. Excuse me. You're sitting here saying that the statute is the injured party? (laughs) Yes, Mr. Klaus, the statute is the injured party. Well, let's talk about the statutes that your prosecutor broke. Let's talk about Title 28, 2255, about habeas corpus. If I can sit here and show you what your prosecutor violated the Constitution, and I can sit here and show you how your prosecutor violated the statutes, because remember, these are your rules, these are your regulations, because I want to remind you in 1925, the United States codes were never passed. Here is volume 43, where it's off on March 4th. Here's volume 44, where it picks up on December 16th. And so from March 4th to December 16th, everything's empty. Here's the Federal Registry Act of 1933, 1935. Here is the Industrial Recovery Act of 1933, 1935. That sits here and shows you that Congress created an administrative commission and allowed the President of the United States to codify the statutes at large for administrative use, at internal. So let me show you where your prosecutor violated your United States code against me and walk them through and show how they committed treason and insurrection and rebellion in that courtroom, even under their own rules of court, even under the canon rules of judicial conduct, because what it says if you get into the full version, it tells you, under terminology, what law is, and the judge has to comply with the law. So when that judge tells you, we don't use the law in this courtroom, we don't use the Constitution in this courtroom, we don't use decisional laws in this courtroom, the canon rules of judicial conduct sit down and says law is to be defined as constitutional provisions, statutory, the rules of court, and decisional laws. The moment that judge says he don't, he just lied, he just perjured himself. He just now violated Title 18, Section 402. He now has constituted contempt for a criminal act in that courtroom. Okay, there's a question on here. Is, is it possible that those Jay and Block attorneys are going... No, and I'll tell you why. The plea agreements that people are forced into are based on threatening you with a higher level of imprisonment and a higher level of fines and penalties if you don't, because they don't have a good enough case against you. They make you waive all your rights, but nothing's in writing, it's all verbal. And this is why this college professor, uh, Chicago's coming in. That's why these other agencies are coming in, or these other law firms are coming in, because the Innocent Project, if you go back and look up their history, this law firm gets into court cases, people who have been in prison falsely, who is forced into a plea agreement based on fraud because they didn't rape or they didn't murder, but they were. Threatened because the prosecutors suppressed the evidence. Your lawyers suppressed the evidence, and they're freeing these people, and they want this type of plea agreement stopped. This is what Jenner and Block and I sit down and talked about, because they come back and said, "Rod, you put up such a defense. You proved and you argued the Second Amendment. You brought in the legal definitions of what this stuff is." You brought up the case law. You brought in the rule. She said, we've never seen anybody come in with the defense and arsenal that you have for the court to rule right over it because you're not an attorney. You're the ones that we've been looking for who was capable as a pro se litigant. so she called me, and I don't agree with that. But as a pro se litigant, you put up a defense that should have shut your court case down and you should have walked. This is why we jumped on this. The plea agreement they forced you into with what you put in, she says, you beat these people and you beat them bad. You won your case, but they wasn't gonna allow you to win because they wasn't gonna let somebody like you come in here and show them up. She said, they should have dropped your charges. Cause I asked them why they did not. She said, the key to this thing was they wanted to see how much you knew. I said, well, did they find out? They said they found out more than they ever anticipated. You had more than they ever thought anybody could ever have. I said, and I wasn't done. I was willing to keep fighting them. He said, this is why they put a stop to it. Cause you scared them. This court case is going to be on October 4th. She was sitting here saying this court case. She says, we win this. This is going to change the entire plea agreement system in this country. And anybody who is working with the innocent project or the ACLU or the national criminal defense warriors association, they're going to be able to have their plea agreements overturned unconstitutional. She said, what you've done, Rod has opened up so many doors, make these people do their job. Right. They were saying this wasn't about just Mr. Class, he is opening up the doors for so many to have things changed. I don't believe that this is a a sabotage because what she's telling me, if this thing goes into the Supreme Court on October 4th, they rule this thing in my favor. This court case goes back down to the appeals court. Now, my second amendment argument will come in. The fact that the property wasn't posted will come in. The fact that the prosecutors walked off, I had five of them, can be brought in. The fact that the judge made a ruling at the end and overrode the prosecutor, and the prosecutor is trying to tell the Supreme Court that this judge ruling doesn't have any merit. Well, stop and think. If the prosecutor saying that Judge Roberts overriding their plea agreement and overriding and allowing me to go do an appeal and filing paperwork for me to file informal paupers, if they're saying it has no merit, no legitimacy, then that means his sentencing had no merit and had no legitimacy. That means any court ruling from the Supreme Court has no merit and no legitimacy, so that means no matter what a judge rules, it has no merit. This is what they're trying to tell the Supreme Court. One of the key things here is this, the United States attorney put in the paperwork telling the Supreme Court judge, supposedly went before the grand jury. Now this never went before the grand jury because I got the transcripts, but they're sitting here saying that they told the grand jury that Mr. Class had readily accessible Firearms on my hips, walking through the District of Columbia, openly carrying, but I supposedly went through the House and the Senate metal detector and walked between the House and Senate over in front of the Capitol building, and I was never stopped, and nobody found it. This is what the prosecutor has put in his paperwork for the United States Supreme Court, and when I showed Jenner and Block this, they fell almost out of their seats. I said, my God, we didn't see this. I said, you wasn't looking for it. But they also attacked the private attorney general and bounty hunter. They also came back in and made the issue that Mr. Class went through various committees with a gun on my hip, had them stamp my paperwork for the private attorney general and bounty hunter. And I've walked through all of this stuff and got back to my vehicle. And right before I got to it, they stopped me, but they never found nothing on me because everything was locked up in the Jeep, and they had my key, so nothing was really accessible. This is what this prosecutor is putting in his paperwork. This is one reason why I went to D.C. to talk to General Block to point all this stuff out and to walk her through this inflammatory lie that this prosecutor is putting before the Supreme Court. I was shocked when I read this thing that these people would lie through their teeth to the Supreme Court to this degree and read the slander, the defamation of character. And I showed her my credentials and she says, Mr. Class, we know the private attorney general and bounty hunter is a valid congressional position. I said, thank you very much. Ultimately, when you walk into a courtroom and that judge sits here and says, okay, Mr. Class, do you have a South Carolina bar license? I said, well, no, I don't but I do have a document from South Carolina Employment and Workforce Administration that allowed me to represent my client in this courtroom. And they looked at me I said, you want to see the paperwork, here it is. I am her attorney, in fact, because the Administration for Employment and Workforce allowed me to represent her. This is my bar card. Besides, I do have the position as private attorney general. The judge asked me one question. He says, Mr. Klaff, I'm going to ask you one thing. Did you represent her as a corporation or as a private individual? I says, when I was before the administration, I represented her in both capacities. Not only as the corporation, but in her private individual self. He says, I'm going to ask you, how are you going to represent her in here? As a private individual, he says, you can represent her. Talking and not seeing and being able to back up what you're saying is what gets us into hot water. When we can walk in and show it, now they are worried. 18 plus.